Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Today, our topic is A Course in Miracles, and we will be discussing the two selves in every human being consist every human being consists of two different selves with diametrically opposed worldviews and goals. One we know well, our familiar day-to-day self, identified with a body, a personality, and a life story, intent on survival, pleasure, and the avoidance of pain. This is the ego self. The other we know less well to our detriment. It is our true self, the self we all share as spirit, the one that God created in his image, eternal, complete, and perfectly loving. Each day we are confronted by scenarios where we find ourselves enmeshed in a conflict between these two aspects of the self. But in this fast-paced world, how do we make the distinction between whether the ego self or our true self is in the forefront? How do we cast out limiting fears and consistently walk in devotion to the light shining within within us, to the light shining within us bestowed upon us by our ever-loving Creator? In today's monthly installment of A Course in Miracles with Robert Rosenthal, M.D., Dr. Bob and I will explore the nature of these two selves using the teachings of A Course in Miracles and the parable of Moses and Pharaoh described in From Plagues to Miracles. Dr. Bob will give a brief discourse, and after some discussion, you're invited to call into the show with your questions. To participate, simply dial area code 347-934-0751. Press 1 if you have a question. In preparation or to continue your examination of this topic, we recommend that you read from A Course in Miracles, Workbook Lessons 95 and 110. In the workbook, Part 2, Section 6, entitled, What is the Christ?, This section immediately follows Lesson 270, and in the Clarification of Terms, Section 2, The Ego, The Miracle, and Section 6, The Holy Spirit. Also, from Dr. Bob's book, From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus, From the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit, please review Chapters 1 through 3 or further, if you like, to delve deeper into the context of this discussion. The book interprets the biblical story of Exodus as it pertains to the workings of the ego. Dr. Bob is a board-certified psychiatrist in private practice near Princeton, New Jersey, has been a student of the course since before it was published, and has served on the board of directors of the Foundation for Inner Peace, publisher of the course, since 1992. If you are new to the program and would like to learn more, visit from com and spiritualinsightsradio.com. We meet here monthly, but if you would like to connect between segments on Facebook, visit our pages at From Plagues to Miracles and also Spiritual Insights Radio. 
We again thank you for joining us, and welcome back to the show, Dr. Bob. Thank you, Shar. Pleasure to be here uh, on our regular monthly gig. I always yes. enjoy this. Oh, I get so excited because, you know, as we teach, we learn. Yes, and indeed. and something always comes out that is um, mind changing for me after these segments. You know. Oh, great. Yeah, for me, it's just a really nice opportunity to kind of uh, collate um, thoughts, experiences, and just sort of toss them all in the blender and see what comes out. <laughs> exactly. Well, we have, there are two aspects of the self, one that is false and one that is real. How how would you yes. like to approach the subject? Uh, well, I said in, uh, when, when, when you and I, Shar, were um, going back and forth in email, I think I said something along the lines of, you know, this could easily be a two-day workshop, uh, but I also am confident that we can do justice to it in the hour uh, that we have. So I see this as perhaps the fundamental topic in all spiritual seeking, because what we're really talking about when we, um, you know, talk about the two selves is the question, who am I? You know, who are you? What are you? Uh, And if we don't know who we are, then how do we know where we're going, how to make that better, what we're seeking? Um, You know, we're we're really kind of lost. And unfortunately, that sense of lost wandering is the lot of uh, most of our brothers and sisters out there. Um, And indeed, even if you're on a spiritual path, I'm sure you can look back and recall when you were just, uh, you know, going through the daily routine, fulfilling what you thought were your duties, um, you know, seeking happiness wherever you could for however long it lasted. So we have to answer the question, who am I? And I think the idea of the two selves goes right to that. Now, normally when I talk about this, I, I start from the perspective of, the ego mind, the self that we know, the self that's in a body and, um, you know, goes about day to day. But I think today I want to kind of come at it from a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, Today I'd like to start top down with how did this all happen? Uh, Because I think if we know what our real self, true self, self with a capital S is all about, and how that then sort of degenerated to this world that we find ourselves in, it will be much clearer the distinctions between those selves and how to begin to move back towards what's real, that that capital S self. Mm. So in brief, it all starts with God, strangely enough. Uh, It also ends there. It never started. It never ended. You know, um, the only true thing that can be said about God is God is. Um, It's infinite beingness, infinite oneness. Uh, You can't even really say unity because unity implies disunity. Uh, It's just uh, a a field of isness. But somehow into this field of isness, there crept what the Course calls a tiny mad idea at which the Son of God forgot to laugh, um, which is, gee, what would it be like to be separate from God? And since mind is all-powerful and all-creative, the moment that thought takes root, boom, it happens. Uh, And so for a fleeting instant, there is a splinter aspect of God itself or of Son of God 
that imagines it is separate and distant um, and sees itself as not God, as, 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 as standing apart from this field of isness and oneness. And, and that's where it all begins. Um, now, of course, the course, A Course in Miracles tells us that the instant that this happened, it was actually resolved because the atonement principle um, became instantly operative, and time itself is, is one grand illusion that we find ourselves in. So we have to remember that, that even though for us this has stretched on for thousands and thousands of years, probably a whole lot more than that, millions and millions, um, from the perspective of God and the isness, this never even really happened. It, it can't happen. Oneness can't divide itself. It would be sort of like one of us having um, a thought, gee, you know, what if I were a quadriplegic and suddenly being in a world where you found yourself that way and, you know, but, but no, it isn't real for you. Um, and, and with all due respect to anyone who might have that problem and be working through it, uh, it's just an example of how our mind can take contingencies and make them very, very real. And, and this is what happened in the creation of the ego mind. So at this level, we're not even talking bodies yet. We're talking about some principle that stood apart from God. Uh, and the moment that it did that, guess what came, guess what got birthed? Fear. Because once something stands separate from the isness, it doesn't know what it is. Um, it, it, it has no real identity. And looking at the oneness of God, it becomes terrified on the one hand that God is going to attack it because it sees itself as different. Um, and from a different perspective, that God is going to devour it. Well, in fact, that's true. Only God doesn't need to devour this separate little splinter of consciousness that, that separated itself. It never left. But from the part that thinks it left, it seems as if that return to God would be God just gobbling it up uh, and, and its separate existence would disappear. So immediately we have fear, we have guilt, um, we have a distinct sense of separation, and what does this, this ego do? Um, and again, this is not the ego of our, our personal ego. This is sort of, if you will, ego with a capital E. I would call it super ego, except Freud already um, you know, took that concept. Mm -hmm. So let, let's call it ego squared, perhaps. You know? Okay. Um, but, so what does this do? Um, you know, it, it fragments. It tries to distract us. The Course says ideas need, leave not their source. We've never left God. But once that separate fragment um, saw itself as separate and distinct, separation became the only operating principle it knew. So it separated more and it fragmented more and it, it splintered into you know myriad individual sparks of consciousness, of God consciousness, which now no longer recognize themselves as one. Um, this is the Jewish doctrine of tikkun olam, which I wrote about in the uh, January-February issue of The Holy Encounter, which is available mm -hmm. online at the Miracle Distribution Center website, um, that there are all these fractured aspects of God that now need to be brought back together. But these fractured aspects no longer see it that way. The fear is pervasive. Um, the fractured aspects further fragment into separate bodies, which accentuate the belief that we are distinct and different. 
And because the bodies are sort of a step further removed from the oneness of spirit of God, um, they now have a whole series of concerns. Foremost among them is death, because a body not being spirit is limited. It's going to die. It has to die. But the moment death is there, it opens the door to a whole category of survival needs. What are we going to do to keep the body safe and warm and well-fed? Um, how are we going to meet its needs? And once you're in the world of survival, now it, it, the possibility of lack comes up. We can lack essential things. We can, uh-oh, we're going without food. We're going without um, companionship. We're going without that which we need to survive. And this then takes us to the grand zero-sum game. Um, Ken Wapnick writes about this all the time, of or them, me or you, that, mm-hmm. that a rising tide no longer floats all boats. If I'm going to survive, it's going to be at someone else's expense. We might form an alliance temporarily, but but at the deepest level, it's you know each man, woman, child uh, for him or her itself. Um, and here lies the world that we know it as we know it. Um, it's not a pretty place when you look at it that way. And indeed, I think a lot of the psychological defense mechanisms that come up um, keep us from looking at that possibility. I mean, it truly is a dog-eat-dog world in the sense that everything here must consume something to support the energy that the body needs. Um, Even if you're pure vegan, you are still eating life from plants, uh, and those plants do die to give you life. So so the fundamental... um, principle underlying the entire world of separation and perception that we live in is death. Um, Death is kind of the symbol of the ego world. Now, we find ourselves here, we get born into this world, and of course, um, having been born into it, we never question, is this really real, or could there be an alternative? You know, we just, like, get tossed in the deep end of the pool and start swimming, uh, you know, this is, this is how the mind works. If it doesn't know there's an alternative, then it doesn't really question what's there. In my book, From Plagues to Miracles, this is the essence of slavery. The worst slavery is not where, you know, you thought you were doing fine and suddenly you find yourself enslaved. Um, the movie 12 Years a Slave, as horrible as it is, you know, the protagonist in that film still knew that he didn't belong there, that he had um, virtues and skills and abilities uh, that that deserved something better. But if you're born into it, you tend not to question it. And if you don't question it, then there's no hope of escape or, um, uh, or, or change. And that is the state of slavery, of separation in which we find ourselves. So what do we do? We go around within this very limited world um, governed by the things that our eyes see, our ears hear, our bodies feel, and we try to find some modicum of, of happiness, satisfaction, um, and and we think we do find it. But really, we're, we're kind of like, um, you know, there's the old story of a uh, a man walking down the street and he sees a drunk uh, sort of staggering around under a street lamp. And he goes up to the drunk and says, what are you doing? And the drunk says, oh, I'm looking for my car keys. And the man says, well, okay, but, you know, where did you lose them? Well, you know, 
uh, I think somewhere down the block. Well, what are you doing looking here? Well, this is where there's light. This is the only place I can see. We're, we're, we're kind of like that drunk. We stagger around, not in light, in darkness, truly. But mm. this is all we know. And so within the confines of this limited universe, we try to make a life for ourselves, a life of happiness. Um, and what do we go to? Well, we seek either power, power over other people. That lets us feel like perhaps we're invincible and perhaps we won't die. Bodies that are stronger, bodies that have more. Perhaps we go to fame and the idea that people adore us, that we have worldwide acclaim that way. Perhaps mm -hmm. we try to have sexual conquests or as many partners as we can, or we seek for one special person who will love us more than anyone else. Um, for many, uh, money becomes the great buffer and uh, antidote to the fear of, of death. So we go around seeking these things, and um, I don't have to tell you that that the seeking can become very, very complicated and complex. And it doesn't usually take the form of, well, that didn't work. Obviously, there's something wrong with the whole system. I wasn't able to get the money I need, the love I need, the fame I need, the power I need. Therefore, you know, let me wake up. This is an illusion. I need to get back to God. No, it, it doesn't do that. The ego mind is very crafty and always proposes another option. Well, that one didn't work, but let me try him. He looks like a better match for me than the guy I was just with. Well, that job didn't work, but I know I can get another one. The ego always pulls this bait and switch to keep us searching, to keep us busy. Um, a Course in Miracles states that the ego's motto is seek, but do not find. The ego loves seeking. The ego loves searching. Because if we're searching, we believe that there is some answer within this limited field of, of, of separation and perception. But as most of us listening to this show would know, uh, as many um, veterans of any 12-step program know, at some point, you hit bottom. At some point, uh, what do I mean by that? At some point, you realize that all of the ruses and attempts that you've um, made, everything that you've tried to do, uh, it, 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 it's failed you. The happiness that you had in one part of your life wasn't, wasn't permanent. You couldn't make it last. And at that point, we open the door to something else. Um, in the book of Exodus, in the Exodus journey that I describe in Plagues to Miracles, this is the point at which the Hebrew people, who represent all of us, trapped in slavery that's unending in the land of Egypt, the land of bondage, finally call out to God for help. And it's the point in the book of Exodus where God hears them and remembers his promise to them. Now, of course, in the conception that I'm describing now, God didn't need to make a promise. The promise was implicit in the beingness of God and in the beingness of who we are. But from our perspective, lost in the world of slavery, it comes across as a promise that we're not forsaken, that God has made a covenant to get us out of here, you know, that we might be in the worst um, ISIS or, you know, what name, you know, prison camp, but a rescue is going to come. Um, but that rescue is not outside of us. That rescue is inside of us, and it always has been. It's just awaiting 
our our insight, our awareness to say, help, and then from that point, everything in the world of illusion and separation now can be used to serve us. We're no longer seeking without finding. Um, we're, we're actually now moving towards something real. The Course calls it the real world. Um, Exodus calls it the promised land. Um, in Buddhism, we might be talking about you know nirvana, um, or, you know, in Hindu samadhi, we're talking about that release and, and moving towards that release. Uh-huh. Um, but so the two selves are simultaneous. We are always the one, as the Course would call it, son of God, but let's, let's get rid of the, uh, you know, the sexist language here. We are God's creation, God's offspring that is the same as God. Um, I'm very fond of quoting uh, the Hindu mystic Shankara, who said, Brahman, God, is all. Um, What is not God doesn't exist. It's illusion. And we are no different. We are the same stuff that God is made of. He doesn't say we're the same as God, because we're not. God created us. God is, you know, superordinate to us. But we're not different from God. We're, We're composed of the same stuff. You know, your children are not different from you biologically they have dna and proteins but boy they sure you know they are they're their own beings uh-huh. so we have this eternal changeless self and that's why i suggested reading um you know lesson 110 uh in the workbook of a course in miracles i am as god created me this is important this is the only lesson that's not only repeated it's repeated twice it's lesson 94, it's lesson 110, it's lesson 162. I am as God created me. And A Course in Miracles says, if you could truly believe for even an instant this one line and know that it was the case and want nothing but that, that the entire world of illusion would be undone and um, in a sense you would, you know, you'd be back in the oneness of spirit and, and so would all of us. So that is... That is our reality, and that's in you and me and everybody listening. Uh, It's not about form. It's about content. It's about uh, what what is unchangeable. Form can't change that. On the other side, we have our ego mind, um, which believes it's in a body, uh, believes it's in a body that's taken this interesting journey, um, as the Grateful Dead put it, this long, strange trip through um, a world of pleasures and adversities that come and go, um, that will be ended with death, a world defined by the need to attack or bet more likely to defend yourself from other people's attack, because we all know that uh, if you're attacked, you have the right to defend yourself, a world defined by judgment, comparison, differences, a world in which we each need to feel special in some way, um, a world that strikes us as unfair uh, because we aren't all the same. Why is it that Bill Gates has umpteen billions of dollars um, and you know some poor peasant in a third world country struggles simply to have enough food for the day? It's unfair. Well, in a world of differences, that is inevitable. That is inevitable. And mm-hmm. all of this, of course, in miracles defines as sin. So Sin is not what we do that's wrong. This is one of the ironies I love about um, this cosmology. Sin really is all original sin. But the original sin 
is the separation itself. And mm-hmm. the separation wasn't a sin in God's eyes. You know, it wasn't God going, oh, you left me. I hate you now. I'm going to destroy you. That's a pure ego thought. The sin is only a mistake. We made this colossal mistake that got corrected instantly. Uh, the answer to the mistake lives within us. This is why Jesus could say the kingdom of God is within you, because mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is you. The kingdom of God is you. It's nothing less than you. It can't be found outside you anywhere. Um, you know, so um, sin, in this sense, is the entire world of separation. But all sin requires is an adjustment. All sin requires is a change. A cor- I'm sorry, a correction, not an adjustment. The ego loves adjustments. Um, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, the operating principle of the atonement, brings us correction. And so... For every single thing that you encounter in this world that the ego would trap you with, the Holy Spirit, when we offer it to the Holy Spirit, and that doesn't even have to be conscious. You don't have to go through the world going, oh, you know, I offer the Holy Spirit this a-hole driver. I offer Holy Spirit my worries about my children. I I mean, you can do that, but really Uh we're setting up, uh, the goal is to set up an unconscious practice where you're not attached and and carrying anything in that regard, you are willingly releasing everything to the principle of correction that when seen through that lens, um, in a sense, takes on a whole different value and a whole different meaning. Um, When the Course in uh, Lesson 193 says, all things are lessons God would have me learn, this is what it means. Everything that comes up is simply an opportunity for correction. Holy Spirit is best thought of as a software patch for correcting an operating system gone mad that consistently gives you the wrong answers, takes you to the wrong pages, and makes it absolutely impossible to navigate your life. And when we apply the patch of Holy Spirit, suddenly everything works. Everything uh-huh. lines up. And we know this Because instead of the usual struggles and obstacles that we tend to encounter, that we try to fix with our ego minds through crafty planning and past experience, instead of this, what do we get? We get miracles. Um, And a miracle is really quite simply what happens when we get our ego mind out of the way and allow that which is the greater us, the real us, to come through. And when that happens... Illusion has to give way to truth. You know, illusions can never stand in the way of truth. Dreams can't stand in the way of truth will prevail. You know, it's kind of like uh, the principle of gravity. I mean, you might, you know, hold something up in the air for a while, but eventually if you let go, it's going to fall. It's got to do that. You know, gravity will prevail. Entropy will prevail. Um, So uh, the Holy Spirit's corrective atonement will address all of this. So, the way that we reconcile the two selves is simply by recognizing that there are two selves and getting a sense of when we're coming from one versus the other. And I think um, the way we know is, are we at peace? Um, are we calm? Can we look on other people without fear, without competition, without a sense of judging them or being judged by them? Or contempt. Can Yeah, can we be at peace? So I want to just finish um, by reading um, a little section 
from uh, my book that talks about the Moses mind, which is just another way of describing our real self, our spirit self that never left. Um, this is from page 32 of From Plagues to Miracles. Okay. What is this Moses mind like? It's difficult to describe, much less recognize, because we identify so closely with ego. And Exodus is not always clear, because it's easy to confuse Moses the man with Moses the symbol. But we can start by describing what the Moses mind is not. It is not limited by time or space or by the physical body. It doesn't fear for its survival and therefore has no need to plan. It doesn't compare its lot with others. Where the ego yammers at us constantly, the Moses mind understands silence. It guides, but never compels. It knows no guilt because it is incapable of doing harm. It operates through miracles, not forced action. And so the law of cause and effect does not apply to it. And it can express itself in all people, and I would add, at all times, in all places. How can we distinguish the Moses mind from the ego's voice? This can be difficult, especially at the start of the journey. The guidance of the Moses mind feels very different from our usual decision-making process. There's no sense of urgency to it, no drama. Its guidance comes with a sense of certainty from beyond the level of our personality, deeper by far than the knowledge accumulated through experience. Convention and logic have nothing to do with it. We simply know and understand that this knowing is not of us. Most of all, the Moses mind brings with it a deep sense of peacefulness. The question or problem we struggled with isn't so much solved, it ceases to exist. Seen through the eyes of the Moses mind, there is no more question, no more problem, we simply misunderstood, and now, seeing clearly, our minds are at peace again. We can get out of the way and allow the miracle to come forth. So our goal as beings living with this split-mindedness is to recognize when we're running ego's operating system, um, which is going to run us into the ground and end in death, and realize that we do have a choice and that, in fact, that choice is, is really the only power left to us in the world of illusion. If you're caught in a bad dream, um, the only real solution is to wake up. You know, even if you change that dream to a good dream, there's nothing that's going to prevent it from sliding back into a bad dream. The goal is to wake up, and we wake up through choice, and that choice becomes a matter of, of every moment, um, you know, to find peace in every moment. I always love the title of Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Peace is Every Step. Yeah, think about that. If every step you took in this world, both every literal step and every metaphoric step, was all about peace, your own inner peace, which then necessarily generalizes to everyone around you, then what would your life be like? Pretty pretty great. Pretty cool. Well, mm -hmm. that's the goal. So... Um, let me uh, pause. I, as I said, I could probably, you know, go on on this topic uh, for a long time, but let me just sort of step back and, you know, uh, open it up, Shar, for anything that you've come up with or comments that you have. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I love that section of your book. Um, just to say, um, I love how you discuss the Moses mind, and in the previous chapter, you go into the. Um, 
the way the ego is constructed. Yes. And you, and you take it very yes. slowly so that it can be assimilated. I love that section of the book, The Anatomy of the Ego. It's It starts on page – it's fantastic. It starts on page 7. Where I'd like to begin, Dr. Bob, is with mm-hmm. your um, comments about, you know, illusions and appearances, how they simply cannot replace the truth. And what I'd like to add to that is with regard to our initial separation from God is that we come here not realizing that we truly cannot be separated from our source. And he is our source. What happens in the mechanics of this illusory world, to my understanding, is that when we are born here, all of our knowledge that is contained in our soul is taken and placed in the subconscious mind, which doesn't give us direct access to it. So there we have this um, process by which we have to remember what we already knew, which is, which is love, which is lack of fear, which is that we are not separate. So, that, so life then is a process of remembering who we really are. It's just that this lower self, the ego self, gets in the way with all of the hopes and fears, as you said, and continues to try to trip us up. So, as we move forward in our journey, what I would suggest, as if everyone could take a moment and take this idea of, say, um, when you're younger, we have something that upsets us, and we don't know what to do, we don't feel like we have a choice. But take this idea and look at the larger picture of your life, your choices and your regrets. Because when we keep ourselves within that limited scope, like you said, the confinement of our perceptions, to refuse to want to break out of that, which is really our comfort zone, is basically just stubbornness. You know, So we need to kind of flex our muscles and flex those muscles of faith that we really are sparks of God, as you were saying. We were made in his image. So therefore, we do have the power to change our minds, change our lives, you know. But choose a time in your life where you felt whole, powerful, functional, and complete. And now look at the criticism that was placed upon you, that you took upon and embraced and said, yes, they said that, or this happened outside of me, so therefore it happened to me, and therefore it must be true of me. We all know where our failings are. We have um, what's called um, idiosyncrasies and personality traits that are less than harmonious. We all have those. We know where we need to improve. But at the very core of it, we need to remember who we are. And I wanted to add to, yes, you were saying from the isness, then comes the birth of fear. And then the core fear is death. I wanted to reiterate how as we travel through life, no matter what level you're on, no matter what, how far along in your path, no matter what age you are, any time there is a form of humiliation, not humility, which wouldn't recognize humiliation, but any form of humiliation, loss, separateness, loneliness, rejection, those are minor deaths of the ego. And that reinforces what you were saying, Dr. Bob, about death being its primary fear. So these smaller deaths can engender as exaggerated a fear as it would physical death of our bodies. Does that make sense so far? Yes. Okay. Um, so, go ahead. Yeah, you, I just wanted to, 
you said the fear comes from the what is. The fear comes from the separation from what is. What is, uh, you know, obviously can't know fear. It's just a slip, but I wouldn't want anyone to, um, you know, to mistake that. Yes. I have separate from isness, birth of fear. I just, I think I just reversed that, but thank yes. you for the, for the, <laughs> for the adjustment. Yeah. But my, my point when you were speaking was, okay, we have these little depths of the ego that, are actually in and of themselves therapeutic and help us further on our journey or on our way home to God. Because as we let go of those minor deaths, we then, through the pain, learn to recognize God. But I also wanted to mention, with the fear of physical death, whether you are uh, obsessively healthy, whether you have health issues to deal with, whether you have issues that are chronic, or whether you have an issue that is in fact, terminal. What we train ourselves to believe is that physical death is the end of something that we will, like you were saying, cease to be who we think we are. But if we turn that around and recognize that physical death is actually reabsorption into the source, the source that we cannot be separated from, that totally eradicates, I would say, a large majority of the fear that we would have at this event, this this very important event in this journey. To come here, we have to be born. We have to come to Earth School to learn what our yeah. souls wanted to learn. But in order to go back home, we have to transition once again and be reabsorbed into our source. So people with a, a very strong fear of death, be it through accident, illness, or in some cases, I won't go too far into this, but I'm being pushed to say it, uh, many people have issues with um, the availability of abortion. And I found in my observation that many of the people who were so vehemently opposed to that option for whoever chooses to do that have serious issues with death because it's so serious and so final. So I just wanted to touch on that. But moving on, I wanted to mention... You had said, you know, how do we overcome these insecurities? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. We seek power. We seek fame, sexual con- conquest. We we seek exclusivity, I wrote. And like you said, the great buffer, money. But if we look at that list, there are pitfalls to each one of these excesses. For anyone who seeks fame as an antidote to childhood pain or any type of um, brokenheartedness, you then see them go through this terrible time of adjustment because their egos get out of control or become too intensified to really acknowledge what's happening. It just gets completely out of control. And then, as you said, the rescue, our rescue is inside us. That failure will, will, whatever perceived failure, will eventually result in hitting bottom. And what Mm -hmm. I'd like to say is we, we struggle against those perceived chains that bind to the point of causing more damage, rather than dissolving them in the light of self-recognition. If we take these teachings from the Course, from your book, from life, from practical life experience, and we learn to recognize who we really are and not those external influences that, that want to try to shape or redefine who we are, that's what we need to reject and we need to embrace our true selves. You mentioned sin. 
my understanding through reading the Course and all of its mention of sin, I've boiled down to one statement, and that is that sin, yes, it is, the original sin is that initial separation. But from what I absorbed and, and boiled down, anything that denies your connection to God, according to the Course, is sin, whether that be fear or worry, attack thoughts, Anything other than love, this denies your connection to God and therefore falls under the category of sin. To move out of that frame of mind, we then go to what you were saying at the final and at the end of your talk, the Moses mind. You said it feels different, and it does. There's no sense of urgency. There's no drama. There's just peace. There's a contentment in allowing time to unfold in whatever way it's going. The ego, in the section that we mentioned for the uh, recommended reading, in the clarification of terms, section two, the ego and the miracle. If everyone listening is saying, but okay, so you're talking about the ego, you're describing it, you're basically telling us a lot of its attributes, but really, what is it? In this section... Clarification of terms. It provides the best answer possible. And it says, There is no definition for a lie that serves to make it true. Nor can there be a truth that lies conceal effectively. The ego's own reality is not denied by words, nor is its meaning clear, because its nature seems to have form. Who can define the undefinable? And yet, there is an answer even here. We cannot really make a definition for what the ego is, but we can say what it is not. And this is shown to us with perfect clarity. It is from this that we deduce all that the ego is. Look at its opposite, and you can see the only answer that is meaningful. So this is the answer to the original question at the top of the segment. How do you distinguish between the ego self and the true self? as a supplement to everything you had just described, if we look to its opposite, anything that is not love is surely ego. Yes. Does that make sense? Um, it's inevitable because God, love, there's the oneness. Anything that isn't part of that, ipso facto, isn't real. And, and, and yes, would be sin, would be separation, would be illusion, would be the dream. You know, they're all just different words describing the same uh, illusion, delusionary state. Mm -hmm. The state of being that we're in as spiritual beings having, having a human human experience. Yes. So I hope that makes sense to everybody. But we do have someone with a question on the line. Did you want to say something else? And then I Yeah, I, before we get question. to the question, I do want to – I think that, that it's very easy sometimes to believe that because – after we die, we're no longer in physical form, that death somehow represents salvation or an analog of salvation. Um, and that, that is not the case at all. The work has to be done here. Why that is, I don't know. And this isn't specifically Course in Miracles. But my take on it is that once, as creative mind, when you express a desire for something that isn't real, that is an illusion, you make that illusion real for you. So as long as the mind that has conceptualized itself as you seeks something within 
the physical illusion that it thinks is valuable, that goal, that valuable thing now becomes an obstacle to God, to oneness, to the return. And you have to come back into the illusion to work it through and to see that at the end of the day, what you thought you wanted does not get you what you want. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this helps explain the, the Hindu idea of karma, you know, that by, by believing in this separation and this, this, you know, whole fragmentation of bodies, um, we create these desires that are desires for nothing. Um, but as long as it's there, we have to go through and, you know, maybe take lifetimes discovering that, oh, that didn't work. Now, this is sort of the um, the local train going there of, you know, maybe you do 5,000 lifetimes, and each lifetime you work through a little piece of it, and by the end of it, there's really nothing left. You have no desires. You're not attached. You've realized your Buddha nature. You've wo- awoken to your Christ consciousness, uh, and now you are home. But what the Course and, uh, you know, most spiritual paths are doing is saying, no, you can vastly accelerate that process in this lifetime, which is really the only time there is, by looking at, you know, sort of these false gods, these idols, these, um, you know, Venus flytraps of desire that you get caught in, mm-hmm. and recognizing that, you know, that they're just illusion, that they don't really offer you anything, and, and letting them go. So I think when we die we are in a place where it's the the veil between the separate self and spirit is much much thinner but there is still a sense of separate identity um and there's still sort of this karmic momentum that will pull you back into the physical over and over and over again until you have um freed yourself from this but it goes back to that question of who are you? And I think the point you were trying to, I don't know, what I heard in, 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 in that discussion of death is, yeah, if we realize that we are more than our physical body, that we are not our physical body, then the fear of death becomes less. But we can take that even further when we recognize that all that's real in us is, is the love and the oneness. And we actually can go through life experiencing that and looking on other people and, yeah, you know, seeing a body but not taking it as their reality, recognizing that that God, him, her, itself lives and blazes within that that seeming um, confines, then we're, 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 we're going way further and then there really is no need to come back because there's, there's nothing to come back to. So the question, who am I, also um, begets the question, who dies? You know, who are you? Who is it that dies? What is it that dies? And what is it that doesn't die? And then I think before we get to the question, the final piece would be within the ego's world, and I should have mentioned this earlier, there actually is no self. Um, That section of the clarification of terms that you were quoting, it says, you know, what is the ego? You know, nothingness disguised as something, or, 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 you know, I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. Even psychology will tell you that there is no consistent self. You are not who you think you are. We can plop you into different contexts, and you will be different people. You will have different responses. The only thing that makes us feel like we have a consistent sense of self is that we have this body that seems to be hanging around. Although, I don't know, I look at my body now and I think about what it looked like 30 years ago and sure doesn't Mm -hmm. seem to be the same body. Um, We have this voice in our head that's been talking to us nonstop since we were about six years old. 
But most of all, we have a life story. And the life story is kind of, you know, the, the clumsy stitching that holds together various episodes from our life, various relationships, and goes, oh, this is Bob, this is Char, you know, this is mm-hmm. uh, Tom, Dick, or Harry. And, and that creates the illusion of a personal self. It's very interesting that most shamanic paths tell you you have to dissolve your life story. Well, this is true. But again, to the ego, that's very scary. Well, if I dissolve it, who am I? I I'm going to be insane, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, but in fact, when you dissolve it, what you find is that there is this amazing oneness, this sense of incredible peace that can still operate through the, um, you know, sort of through the avatar of a body and an ego, but that just isn't it. Uh, and then the fear of death truly is suspended. But even that idea that we are a consistent self, hogwash. You're not. You're not. Um, even psychology will tell you that. Okay, so that, those were the things I, I, I just wanted to um, clarify. Perfect. But we have and, a question? Uh, it looks like they changed their mind. I just want to say, you know, <laughs> the, I must the, have answered it. <laughs> maybe the tendency we have is we look at our experiences and our feelings to define us, like you said, we're constantly changing. Our bodies are constantly changing. Our personalities are constantly evolving as we grow and adapt, uh, some in a negative direction, some in a positive. There is constant change, which, basic rule, if it's subject to change, it's not real. And yeah. if it can be threatened, it's not real. So yeah. let me just check with the caller and, and see if they have a comment or okay. anything. Terrific. Hi, welcome to the show. Did you have a question or a comment you wanted to add? Um, well, I kind of changed my mind, but I, I'm actually enjoying the show. Yeah. Okay. Would you like me to put you back on hold then? Yes, ma'am. Okay, thanks. Not I a had problem. They changed their mind. No problem at all. Okay, so in conclusion, basically, you know, yes. what we're saying, everybody, is there with the two aspects of self. Invite the Holy Spirit in. Ask him for his vision. Ask him for his understanding of reality to help you overcome the illusion that is seemingly happening to you. What would you say to that, Dr. Bob? Yes, I would say this as well. Um, Realize that the kind and gentle use of time and space in the world we live in is... um, is what Holy Spirit brings to us. So, you know, I I laid this out from that top-down perspective, Mm -hmm. and I'm describing, um, you know, some very advanced, enlightened places that, that are the goal. But the Holy Spirit, by definition, can never bring you someplace that you are afraid of. And I think it's it's very important not to try to get ahead of ourselves and try to um, force ourselves into experiences that really would provoke fear. Um, in the uh, the Exodus journey, this is represented beautifully by the fact that when the Hebrews arrive at Mount Sinai, guided by Moses, um, you know they're free of Egypt. They're here to become. Uh, a nation of priests, uh, the Bible tells us. That means every one of them has a direct contact with God. What happens? They're actually not ready. And so instead of seeing God as the wonderful, amazingly benevolent, radiant light that God is, 
or even seeing God as Moses did at the burning bush, this you know strange spectacle that 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 beckons and welcomes. They see God as this terrible, frightening presence of you know flame and fire and rumbling, um, and, and they get scared and run away. Uh, you know, to use sort of a stupid metaphor, it's kind of like Groundhog Day. You know, the groundhog saw his shadow and went back in, and now we don't right. get spring for six more weeks. Um, so. Be compassionate with yourself. Be gentle with yourself. If in the course of, of a day or a week or even a month, you find some place in your life where you realize you've, you've been governed by fear and you're able not to completely transcend that and become a new being, but just to realize, hey, how about that? That's fear, and I know that that's coming from a part of my mind that doesn't have my best interests at heart, and I know I have an alternative, so let me just try it. You know, let me, let me do the experiment. Let me turn it over and say, you know, God, Holy Spirit, whatever name you want to use. You know, we don't, I mean, you know, we call it God, but that's just our culture. You could call it Allah, you could call it uh, Allah, the way mm-hmm. Jesus would have in Aramaic. Um, you can call it higher power. Whatever you do, just run the experiment of let me see what this would be like. And if you are asking from a place of no expectation and genuine humility, and I don't mean humility like I'm a worm and, you know, I'm nothing and God, you're everything. I mean humility in the sense of I don't know what the right path is here. Um, I've been ruled by my ego. I've been enslaved in Egypt all this time. Show me. I am willing. I am open to be shown even if it's in the smallest little niche in your life, I, I am quite confident that you will receive an answer. Um, it may not look like the answer you were expecting. In fact, if it doesn't look like the answer you were expecting, you are on the right track, and you probably got a real answer. If Absolutely. it looks exactly like what you were expecting, then you know, then we start to believe in magic and, and that our ego can do all kinds of things, and, and, and we end up reinforcing the world of illusion as if it's something that we want. But but so, you know, you, another of my favorite lines from the Course, you know, do not fear, you will not be hurled into reality. You have all the time you need. If this takes you a hundred lifetimes, but you know you're going to get there in the end, um, then why worry? Another line in the uh, teacher's manual in a section on the qualities of God called patience says, infinite patience produces immediate results. Uh, sounds like a Zen koan, huh? Infinite. But what it's saying is when we let go of our urgency, which always comes from ego, when mm-hmm. we realize everything is perfect as it is, which the sages and mystics have been saying since all time, you know, Julian of Norwich is, you know, and all things shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. When, when we get to that place um, of infinite patience, it doesn't matter how long it takes, boom. We're there, and reality starts to intrude into the illusion, and the illusion rearranges itself around the template of, of love rather than the template of fear, and the changes that you want start to implement. Um, but the reason they don't always look like what we want is because our ego gets in there and goes, ooh, you know, I want to be strong. Oh, no, this time I want to have, you know, at least $10 million, and if I don't have mm-hmm. that, I'm a failure. And so, you know, we have to just see those solutions don't work. Um, the essence of my book, From Plagues to Miracles, is that the ego gets plagues. When we set up a false goal, a false god, it will collapse. 
and in that collapse, we suffer because we were attached to that. But mm-hmm. the suffering is fertile. The suffering opens the door to there must be a better way. The suffering opens the door to um, letting go and letting God, to thy mm-hmm. way, not mine. So give it a try. I mean, what have you got to lose? And, and I think that's, you know, what I would say to to anyone. Um, you know, try this other operating yep. system. Absolutely. You find the smallest little place where you think there's fear in your world and, and just see what happens. Right. And like you say <laughs> in your book, the the body can feel pain, but only the mind can suffer because yes. of our perceptions. And I think yes. what, what many of us do is when we perceive that we're suffering a condition in our lives, um, we then say, we, we then declare to God or the universe what we think we need in order to alleviate that suffering. So we start to put labels on it without realizing that if there's lack in our lives, we don't see that we have created an impoverished circumstance. We have a poverty consciousness, which if you look at the inverse of what it looks like on the surface, it really is a limitation imposed upon the self to keep you safe because that's what you're familiar with in many cases, whether it's conflict in relationships, loneliness, um, a feeling of choicelessness and inability to affect change. We keep these patterns going because of the safety that it provides because that major change would be quite frightening to the ego. But with regard to asking for the Holy Spirit to come in and to really embracing peace in your life, we cannot tell the Holy Spirit what we need. We have to ask. As it says in the Clarification of Terms, Section 6, the Holy Spirit, Paragraph 4, it says, But he is not deceived when you perceive yourself entrapped in needs you do not have. So the ego tries to declare what we need. What we need to do to overcome that is simply ask, what do I need to achieve peace? And the answer will come. Yeah, um, the Course frequently talks about the need to bring illusion to truth rather than truth to illusion, and this is what you just quoted is exactly what it means. We want The ego wants God to come into our world and make it better for us, to make us special, to grant our needs. Obviously, that's impossible. The moment God recognizes this world, God is no longer God, um, which is what the ego wants. No, the solution is to take our illusions um, and bring them through the process of forgiveness, through letting go, back to oneness, to spirit, to God, at which point they no longer exist. Um, That's why the quote that I read from my book about the Moses mind, the problem does cease to exist. Um, The solution isn't a solution as the ego would conceptualize a solution. And as you were saying, you know, when we look to a solution from ego, well, where does the ego find its solutions? They're always from the past. They're Mm -hmm. what worked for us before or there well that didn't work for us but we saw that it worked out for john smith so we're going to do it his way um but they're always rooted in the past and therefore they keep us locked in in kind of this this prison of time this this vicious circle that we don't get out of the past just repeats over and over and over and over again until we get to that moment of thy way not mine i have no clue how to get out of here but i know there is that within me which does know, and I turn it over to that, 
gladly, graciously, peacefully, um, and, and I start trusting. You know, the 23rd Psalm, uh, he leadeth me beside the still waters, uh, you know, he restores. It's like there is that which will lead us like sheep exactly where we need to be going. And, and this is not bad to be like a sheep. Um, this means that, you know, you'll be, you can be perfectly taken care of. Absolutely. Well yeah, put. Yeah. Wow. Ah, it's a deep topic. I love this stuff. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm so happy just talking about it. And we can continue this next time if you um, feel guided yeah, to let's do that. See. I was okay. thinking that we could continue it, and maybe we can give, um, you know, sort of a subset more on the idea of death because I think I don't think we've done that before. I'll have to look back. But it's 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 such a cornerstone of the ego's world, and it's something that you know, if you're human, you not only think about death; the thought probably comes up regularly, mm-hmm. um, and it drives all of the false religious doctrines, and you know, keeps us stuck in fear. So I think we can look at this idea of you know, sort of who are we in the two selves, and maybe delve a little bit into death, and uh, that that could be a very good place to uh, to shine some light. That would be great. I'm looking love forward it, to it, it already. Okay. Right. I, I think I'll, um, when I'm, when we get off the air, I'm, I'm, I feel so inspired. I think I'll do some writing and let whatever come out onto paper um, that wants to just allow that to materialize. But I have our prayer for Amen. today. Yeah. Good. I have our prayer from the book, Choose Once Again, Selections from A Course in Miracles, published by the Foundation for Inner Peace. This prayer is from page 101, and it states, How holy are our minds, and everything we see reflects the holiness within, the mind at one with God and with itself. How easily do errors disappear, and death give place to everlasting life. Our shining footprints point the way to truth, for God is our companion as we walk the world a little while. And those who come to follow us will recognize the way, because the light we carry stays behind, yet still remains with us as we walk on. No miracle can ever be denied to those who know that they are one with God. No thought of theirs but has the power to heal all forms of suffering in anyone, in times gone by and times as yet to come, as easily as in the ones who walk beside them now. Their thoughts are timeless and apart from distance as apart from time. Let me remember I am one with God, at one with all my brothers and myself, in everlasting holiness and peace. Amen. Amen. Until next time, everyone, God bless and be at peace.